0: Hi, son. It's Friday, and this is the Friday show on the 9320 Podcast. The Premier League is back, and I'm delighted to be joined by my podcast, Acast, Howard and Stee. Um Before I say hello to them, don't forget, if you've not got your membership to the 9320 Player Sorted will be a good weekend to do it this weekend. Next week, we'll have our first review of the season, which will be our review of the Arsenal game on Sunday. We'll have our exclusive interview with Marty Perrano, who is the author of Pep Confidential. Uh, Plus, we'll have part two of our history pod, uh, which was on the Mancini years. Uh, So, yeah, that's just some of the content you'll get next week. So if you haven't already signed up, it's £4 a month. Head over to our website and, yeah, get yourself signed up. Right, let's talk about this weekend Hello Howard, how are you? Uh, yeah, I'm fine, thank you. Yourself? Excellent. I'm very good. good very good. Steve, how are you? I'm very good. I love the fact
1: that I'm one of the A-Cast. I've never been an A-lister before.
0: <laughs> <laughs> are there any perks to this or you listen, mate, you've been you've been an A-lister since you joined this podcast. Don't be humble now. Don't be humble now. So we, don't, it.
2: we don't use your
1: surname when you're
2: an A-caster, so that's what Exactly. I, so there's only not, one Steve. It's
1: not needed.
0: I'm looking forward to a day when I'm just S. S. <laughs> yes. big S. Absolutely.
2: Um, well, look,
0: the Premier League's back this weekend. Uh, and my opening question for the pair of you is kind of related to that. Um, what are you expecting or hoping from the league this season? Uh, who do you think will overachieve? Who do you think will underachieve? Your general thoughts on whether you expect this season to be quality-wise better than last season. Um Steve, I'll start with you. What I particularly like in recent years, um,
1: Sunderland aside, is you don't really get teams now who just have a stinker, who are just, you know, a a lower class to the other 19. There's so much money now in in the top flight that, you know, everyone can compete. And as a consequence of that, the kind of relegation battle is often just as intriguing and fascinating as the top half of the table. Um, Everyone can pull their weight. So, You've seen, you know, we've seen the summer signings. We've seen the players that, you know, the likes of Bournemouth have brought in, um, some, and Brighton as well have made some excellent signings this summer. So it's at the bottom half, I think, where it's going to be really, really fascinating as the, the season draws to a conclusion. Uh, at the top half, um, I expect City to kind of replicate what they did last season, only less so. Um, you know, to, to to win the league, but not so comfortably. And a big part of that, I think might come down to the resurgence of Liverpool. Um, I I think they've, they've aced their own particular transfer window. They've brought in exactly the players they wanted in the positions they wanted. Um, but of course the most fascinating aspect of this season to come is sorry at Chelsea, Emery at Arsenal. Will they immediately click to what extent won't they click? um, and the soap opera that is becoming, you know, just a must see at Old Trafford as well. And the implosion <laughs> of Mourinho. Um, I I think Mourinho is the kind of manager who either builds a citadel or half builds it, and then when he leaves, he just throws sticks of dynamite at the whole building. He just implodes the whole club, and that's what he's in the process of doing right now, I believe. So, all round, what a season we've got ahead of us. Excellent.
0: If I wasn't excited enough already, I'm suitably excited now. Um, Howard, is there anybody who you look at and you think, oh, I think they're going to overachieve this season? Or when I say overachieve, what I mean is they're going to maybe confound expectations in a positive manner.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure. if Maybe this is expected of them anyway. Last season was the first time I think all three Premier League sides have stayed up, and if it wasn't the first, it was the first time for a long time. Mm. This time around, I think there's two obvious. and I'll say, it maybe it's just what's expected rather than overachieving. There's two pr- promoted sides who I would expect absolutely not not think that they can stay up. I expect them to stay up, and that's because, well, for different reasons that we discuss. You know, they've they've invested heavily, and uh, in Wolves and Fulham. I think it's going to be fascinating to see how they do. Mm. Uh, now, Wolves against Everton is tomorrow. I think. Uh, on the TV normally that's not a game I'd be rushing to <laughs> turn my TV on to, but but you know, everything that's happened this summer, and we'll, you know, we'll be discussing uh, that match, it makes it fascinating. Every season, I look at I'll start the season, I think, Oh, this season's going to be more fascinating than the previous one, and it always that is essentially me saying, Oh, there's even more money in the game, uh, and it doesn't always turn out that way. City run away with the league, or Leicester win it, which you could call fascinating, or you know. It's the usual suspects, but I do think this season. And I can't. I'm not really answering your question apart from the two promoted sides because I just can't call who is going to overachieve. I mean, you just mm. you go through. I, I've got some ideas who who will underachieve and struggle. But you look at the rest. I think City will win the league, for example. And yes, like Steve, I think Liverpool would be second. Look at the rest of the top six. I'd find it almost impossible to. Yeah to put them in order because who knows I mean Spurs not bought anyone new stadium Chelsea new manager Arsenal new manager it's just uh, but that's interesting yeah I find that fascinating and the rest of the the rest of the league again yeah there's money it's a wash with money but it allows sides to buy players that they would never have contemplated buying in the past and Mm. I think it's yeah Uh, I mean you've got Brighton I think has spent big as well it's it's and you've got established sides like Bournemouth who could be sucked in. You've got Southampton. You know, it's just impossible to say how. You know, I can only pick the two promoted sides of Wolves and Fulham that stand out uh, as overachieving, mm. but maybe that's expected of them anyway.
0: Well, I think. I mean, we'll talk about we'll talk about Wolves a little bit later when we uh, when we preview Wolves and Wolves in Everton this weekend. But in terms of Fulham, if you look at if you look at the expectation that's on them, I think that the expectation has grown w- with the more money. The, the more money that they've spent this summer, the more the expectations have grown. And um, they bought a lot of players uh, from overseas, and they bought a lot of players who've got big reputations. I think Jean-Michel Seri's come from from Nice. You've got Andre Schirler, who's come from Dortmund. That those seem like big signings. Mm. Um, But I think that that brings a level of expectation beyond just surviving in the Premier League. So, for example, I don't think that if Fulham just survive and finish 17th, that anyone can say that they've overachieved because, you know, for the money that they've spent, you would expect them to, to... to maybe not just survive. Or certainly when you look at the calibre of players that they've bought or the reputations of the players that they've bought, I mean, obviously they've got to hit the ground running. Obviously those players have got to um, live up to the expectations and live up to their reputations. But uh, yeah, if if they do, you would expect them to, uh, to finish a little bit higher than just survival. I think you're right. It's a really hard season to call in general because new manager at Arsenal, new manager at Chelsea... The fact that United spent almost no money, and Mourinho seems really upset before the season's begun. The fact that Spurs literally have not bought a player, and let's be clear about this: this is the first time since the Premier League came into being that a club has gone an entire summer without buying a really? Yeah, yeah, blimey. So, so that that it's quite something when you take a step back and look at it like that. I I don't know who will overachieve because it's going to, there's a lot of unknown quantities, as we've just said. I think there's going to be a fight for who underachieves the most between United and Spurs. I I know that, you know, a lot of people will go, well, if you look at their squads, that's a ridiculous thing to say. But I think that there's a little bit, I think at, at United, they've, uh, They've got a little bit... I I think that the fact that Mourinho and Woodward are no longer on the same page is a bigger problem than Mourinho not getting on with Pogba or Mourinho not getting on with Martial. Because as long as Mourinho's got the backing of the men above him, he's always going to find ways to get his team over the line. Generally, he tends to metaphorically down tools when the people above him are seen to not back him. I think it was the same at Madrid. Um, It was the same at Chelsea during both of his tenures there. And I feel it'll be the same at United. I think at Spurs, the reason that they'll underachieve is because if you stand still in this league, you tend to die. You tend to move backwards. It's very rare that you stand still in terms of your squad and the transfer market and... You stand still in the league the following season. I, th- I think you tend to to slip backwards quite considerably. And I think that that's where Chelsea and Arsenal as unknown quantities, they may be unknown quantities, but they'll both have new manager bounces and they both have managers who come with big reputations and, and managers who on the face of it will be much more, much better at, at keeping the, the team spirit correct within both of those squads. And I think that that was as big a problem as anything else. Certainly last year, if you look at Arsenal and you look at Chelsea, it's a big problem with team spirit and big yeah. problem with the way that Wenger was managing and the way that Conte was managing those players. Um, and I think they might get a bounce the other direction this season. And that, for me, makes United and Spurs' job very, very complicated. Yeah. Um, I think so, yeah, those are the two that I think will underachieve. I think Chelsea have just
2: brought in enough quality late in the window to... Mm-hmm. I'm still think they're very light up front, but yeah, they could be the ones that. Yes, we've discussed before. Sarri's methods will take time, but you may find a method in the meantime to yeah. get results. We'll see. Well, I th- mean the one. Oh, sorry, and the one team. Yeah, go on. You go first because there's another team that springs to mind as well.
0: I was just going to say that I think with with Sarri, and I think a lot has been is already being made of the fact that it's going to take him time. To implement his system. But at the same time, I saw enough of his system and I saw enough of them keeping the ball off Man City in the Charity Shield to know that, in terms of it being a perfect Sari system, it might take 12 months. But in terms of them getting the better of the bottom 10 or the bottom 12 of the Premier League, I think he'll get there in, in another six weeks, in another eight weeks. I think they'll be at that stage where, with the quality that they've got, I mean, let's not forget that in the Charity Shield, they played without Kante, they played without William, they played without Hazard, and they played without Courtois, who were their four best players. Uh, obviously, Courtois is gone, but the other three will have a much bigger impact in terms of the the, the outfield play. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think that they, I think they'll be okay. I guess that's what I'm trying to
2: say. Yeah, uh, just the one other side. And again I can't say confidently overachieved, but it'd fascinating to see West Ham under Pellegrini. So Definitely. Just so many stories. Yeah. You know, and mm. again, they started spending the money. Uh which is what the fans wanted, obviously, from the beginning. Uh so yeah, that will
0: be interesting. That could go one of two ways, I reckon. So Definitely. Yeah. I think the one the one thing that um I didn't realise, but I read somewhere yesterday that Pellegrini is working with the same director of football he worked with at Malaga. Now, I didn't even realise that West Ham had a director of football. But if that is the case, then that would explain why they've managed to bring in the number of players that they brought in. And players who seemingly have come with, you know, Yamalenko is a player who has been linked with all of the top six in the last two or three years. Um, Felipe Anderson is a player who's been linked with all of the top clubs in the world in the last three or four years. Um, so, you know, they're not going out and buying totally unknown foreign players. They're actually buying players with a reputation. But I think they might do OK because Pellegrini's chosen all the players. I think that's the big thing there, that they've spent money, but they've let the manager pick the players that he wants. But that does, obviously, on the flip side, put pressure on him. Steve, what about for you? Is there anybody that you're kind of looking at and going, oh, I think they might underachieve or, oh, I think they might really do well?
1: I thought your take on Spurs was absolutely spot on about standing still and, and kind of dying in this league as a consequence. Yeah. Um, I think if they'd done likewise last year, it wouldn't have been such an issue. I think they had an extremely strong first team. Their squad was a bit light, but You know, barring injuries, if they got a bit of fortune with that, then they were always going to have a a very good season. The difference this year is they've now had this essentially same first team, give or take a player or two, for three years now. And in those three years, they've come close to winning things, but they haven't won things. Now, I don't want to kind of, you know, bang that old drum about how Spurs need to win silverware. But it also happens to be true in terms of how it affects the mentality of the collective, not the individuals, but the actual squad as a whole. That squad now is a squad that hasn't won things and has played consistently excellent for 36 months. So as a result of that, that is now a squad that was in need of revamping. It needed some fresh energy put into it, some fresh new belief into it, Um Otherwise, it was it was a chance of it growing stale. And I think that's what's going to happen to Spurs this year. I think it's going to stagnate yeah. to a certain extent. But in the same uh, example of you only need to stand still for a single summer to die in Premier League, you only need to stagnate slightly to really stagnate in the Premier League. Um, and so, yeah, I think Spurs are going to underachieve. I think they're going to struggle. I think they're going to be beyond the top six, for chunks of the season. Um we're not going to see anything dramatic like we saw with Chelsea three years ago or two years ago, but um, I think they're just going to be behind the rest. Um, and yeah, will they get kind of media criticism from that? No, because unquestionably they are the media darlings. Um, does that have any real impact? I think it does. I think what, when you see Mourinho's comments made in the US tour, it's the media who have made this into a crisis now. I wrote last week about you know looking at United in terms of where they are in reality. They're perfectly fine. You know, they have got a lot mm. going for them. But if you read the newspapers day in day out and the headlines that kind of just that does kind of get into your, into your system and you think, "Wow, they're a club in crisis." And that does consequently have a genuine real impact on the club, on the fan base and on the players. Um, Spurs won't get that. They won't be criticized for being out of the top 6. So maybe it's just a case of them just limping along and having a apathetic season, um, and not being talked about so much.
2: Yeah, I mean, maybe I've heard that the the stadium costs have gone over a billion now. So yeah, I mean, it's obvious why they're going to struggle, and obviously you've got this question first. I mean, I don't know when the stadium actually opens. It's not until a few weeks in, is it? But uh, the question of you know first season in a new stadium has hit many clubs. Uh, But Mm. I've I've heard that. I've heard someone else say there is an advantage of not changing players because you get a synergy with them. They're so used to playing with each other. But I do generally agree with Stay that I think the staleness and the need to reinforce and freshen things up overrides that considerably.
0: I think it's that I think it's that synergy that you talk about that got them to third last season because I think that they stagnated similarly last summer. Yeah. Um to an extent. Uh, yeah, but yeah. To to an extent, well, I mean, if you if you look at if you look at the players that they brought in last summer, I don't think there's a single player who had any sort of serious impact upon the first team. Um, I think Sanchez comes in in January, Davinson Sanchez, uh, and he has a little bit of an impact. But um, in terms of how their season unfolded, I think that they they benef- they've already benefited. I think as much as they can do from the synergy and the team spirit. Um, and again, not to overplay it, but the reality is that all those lads will be walking back into training and they'll be looking at, you know, their mates going back to City or going back to Liverpool and they'll be going, we're going backwards here. You know, do who, who goes back to, when they go back to Spurs, what's their... What's the target for the season for them? Is the target a title challenge? Bearing in mind that, to a greater or a lesser extent, for the last three seasons, they have at some point or another felt like they're in a a, a, a title battle. Do you do we realistically think that they will go in this into this season begin or Pochettino will go right where we're, we're going to battle for the title this season? City got a hundred points, yeah, and they've strengthened upon upon that. Liverpool have strengthened considerably even though they finished just behind Spurs they've strengthened to an extent that you feel that they overtaking Spurs will not be if Salah has even a you know a, a season which is 70% of what last season was you don't think it will be a challenge for Liverpool to to overtake Spurs in the Premier League so yeah I think it's uh, I think it's going to be a very interesting season for them and I think that they could well underachieve um, okay. Let's let's talk about the Charity Shield, Steve, because uh, I haven't really got your take on it um, a week on. But before I do that, I just want to read uh, a couple of tweets about the Charity Shield, uh, because I think it's an interesting conversation. So, esteemed company uh, tweeted, because uh, he was on Sky Sports yesterday, I think, yeah. and he tweeted, spoke to loads of fans of other teams yesterday while at Sky Sports News, and it was really notable how many just can't see past city. They all think we will win it again. And they all mentioned the convincing community shield win proper statement of intent, that game and dead important to which Stefan, another friend of the podcast, uh, replied, I actually think the charity shield is misleading. Everyone, including city fans were surprised by how dominant we were, but it was a friendly and we have a tough star. Um, yeah. and then he continues on in his next tweet to say, uh, on reflection, I wonder if we are reading a little too much into it. Chelsea were dire and unprepared and offered very little opposition. So, Steve, I've not spoken to you about the Charity Shield. Um, where do you stand on what that game and that performance gave you in terms of confidence or lack of confidence going into this weekend's game? I fall directly in the
1: middle of both esteemed company and Stefan. Uh, first, I find it you know, hilarious that Stefan's been Stefan there. <laughs> And and a steam company has been a steam company, you know, one full of enthusiasm and optimism, and the other kind of, you know, be very pragmatic. And that's where I I fall right in between kind of optimism and pragmatic. I thought I disagreed with what you said before, Ethan, about Chelsea and how they kept the ball off City. I thought you could see little glimpses of what they will become, um, mm. and they will become a fabulous team, and they will be a genuine threat um, moving forward. But. You'd, I saw very little of that uh, in the Community Shield. Um, you know, What Sorry, wants to implement is a system where players just play on instinct. They know exactly what to do in every single situation. That time takes a great deal of time to put into practice uh, at a minimum of three months, I would suggest. Um, and that's what City came up against, a, a team uh, somewhat disjointed. Um, I, I've spoken before on the podcast. I'm a, I, I'm a big believer... In the importance of instinctiveness on a football pitch because if you've got that split second, just that split, we saw it. the example I remember giving in the past is Raheem Sterling under Pellegrini. He had a split second where he's, oh right, what does manager want me to do? It's too late. You can't afford that split second in football. So that's what we saw from Chelsea, I believe. Just that split second of players thinking, oh yeah, I'm supposed to go there now. I'm supposed to do this now. Whereas City, mm. it was instinctual. They just got straight back into it. It just fell straight back into it, which was a huge surprise to me and a really, really pleasant surprise to me. Uh, I didn't did not think that was the case because of the staggered return of our players after the World Cup. I thought that might take a while to come back into practice. So what we saw was City being City, being City like they were last season, and Chelsea minus, as you say, you know, some huge players, hugely influential players for them, and um, just trying to adjust to a new manager's thinking. So, yeah, I fall between the two. I I was greatly encouraged overall, don't get me wrong. But I think it's a very different proposition this weekend against Arsenal.
0: Okay, fair enough. Um, Howard, me and you have already talked about the charity shield. Is there anything that you want to add, having had a a week, I guess, to reflect upon it? Uh, No,
2: not really. I agree. (laughs) No, I think Steve's just yeah. I I would fall in the middle of those two points as well. Uh, if we'd lost three nil last week, I wouldn't have been overly bothered. Uh, just take nothing from it, and history counts for nothing. But communi- you know, community shield winners do not does not correlate with you know title winners the following season. Mm. The vast majority don't win it. It's irrelevant. You know, not because of a specific reason. It's just you know our city of shown disdain towards it in the past. Uh, I think the 3-0 defeat to Arsenal showed that and uh, it's just a fitness thing. I did take a little bit from it though because they were better than they expected City. I don't think Chelsea were very good at all. Uh, I think Steph fans got that correct. But I did take quite a lot from the energy and intensity of our players. That bodes well because it seems like they're ready to go. Uh, the other fans about can't see past City makes perfect sense but you do, you know, they shouldn't be taking that conclusion from the Community Shield. They should be taking it from the fact we scored, you know, got hundred points last season, brought Mares in, Mendy's fit, and Foden's breaking through. Mm. I'd say those things are a bit more important than a than a, a glorified friendly result.
1: Personally. And Bernardo Silva too. I mean, that, his performance oh, yeah. oh was exceptional, wasn't it? And, and I, I have a real strong feeling for that as well. I mean, it was obvious anyway because you know comments made in interviews and how he's brought back early. It was clear that City thought, right? Okay, we want you to have a really strong start this this season. Now you're ready. You're good to go. We want you to take that step up, and to see that in in the space of ninety minutes was was exhilarating.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think um, uh, I think I think we can take a lot from from the way that City played in the Charity Shield. Just very quickly, I just think to to kind of touch upon what you said there, Howard. I think we played with. The intensity and to a greater or a lesser extent with the quality that we ended last season with and I think that when City play like that it actually doesn't matter how good or bad the opposition play because it's just very difficult to cope with what City do so on the one hand you can say yeah Chelsea maybe weren't great in the second half and didn't really show a lot of quality you could even argue didn't really even defend that well. But actually, that doesn't really matter. I mean, I'm not being funny, but Aguero could have got a trick on top of the goals that he did score. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So w- the level that we played at was that level that we were playing that last season that literally nobody could cope with. So I guess for me, when I see us performing like that a week before the season kicks off, yeah. I feel great. Because I feel like, okay, that summer break has not affected us to the extent that the players come back and it looks like there's not a lot of muscle memory there and they're going to need two or three, four weeks. I mean, Steve, you even wrote a piece, didn't you, about uh, being a little bit worried about the fact that the players were back so late and that they would have no pre-season the first team players had no pre-season to speak of no pre-season games really and very little pre-season training but if you look at the way we performed in the charity shield I would argue that it's not really made a blind bit of difference because in terms of what the players are doing and the quality that they're showing and the intensity that they're showing and You can't judge mentality from the charity shield, but I'm going to try and judge mentality (laughs) from the charity shield anyway. Yeah. The mentality looks right. So if they just carry all of those things into the game against Arsenal on Sunday, I feel we're okay. I don't feel hugely concerned. And I can't, I do feel we can draw a line between the charity shield and, and the Arsenal game then. Um, Okay. The couple of other bits of business from this week that um, I want to touch upon Uh, the transfer window closed. Howard, how do we assess City's transfer window now that it's closed? Um and I want to just have one um contextual piece of information. Guardiola said very clearly at the end of last season, we will only buy one or two players and the only positions that we're buying in is another forward and a holding midfield player. Yeah? yeah. So there was never really anything beyond that. No. How do you assess it now? well we've got one of the two so (laughs) Uh,
2: how do you assess it well we'll know by uh, Fernandinho's fitness levels this season Uh, I'm I'm fine with it it was never going to be a huge transfer window it was always going to be a quiet summer Uh, now no one's defended a Premier League title in 10 years and I wrote an article a couple of weeks ago psychological issues to that of course of doing it the desire the hunger well I think five champions on a row now have bought terribly having won the title. So from a position of strength, they have not strengthened further. Now, you could argue City have done the same now. They have the chance to utterly dominate now and they've not gone out there and blown everyone away. But to be honest, this side has far more strength and depth than, say, our previous two title-winning sides or any side that's won the title in the last 10 years. You just can't go out and buy another three top-class players because there's nowhere to put them unless we have a an injury crisis and they're not going to come to be rotated heavily. Obviously, we rotate our team, but we don't rotate heavily. Players still want to play, if they're fit, 30 times at least a season. So, yeah, we didn't get Jorginho, so you can knock a mark off for that. But again, if Fernandinho stays fit, it's not a problem at all. I think, for all the stick, I think Gundogan can do a, a job there, 80% of the time at least, quite easily. And we don't need a backup. You know, the only way we'll fall down is in you know select few big matches during the season. If Inandini out, we may suffer, or if he's tired, or if he's out of form. You know, if we, if, we, if he shows his age this season, which we can, you know, which I don't think he will, because he's a machine. and doesn't look he's you know, don't act like his age, so to speak. Uh, I'm I'm fine with it. It was never going to be big. Uh, we brought in one extra top-class forward player, uh, we're well good to go. Uh, it just, you know, it's a fairly young side. To use the oldest cliche in the world, getting Mendy back is like signing a new player. I always said that the port in January was essentially a summer signing, but done early, because World Cup and, you know, the gap between the end of the World Cup and the uh, start of this Premier League season is the shortest gap since 1966. Uh, and of course, we've brought the the end of the transfer window forward as well. So in a way, we've kind of signed two big players. So Laporte and and Mares on top of an already very very strong side. So for me, it's just yeah, it was fine.
0: Okay, Steve, um, do you do you agree with Howard that there wasn't actually much more we could have done beyond signing? Uh, a player to deputise for Fernandinho, or do you think that we could have actually gone to a whole other level again to really put a gap between us and the rest of the league?
1: I didn't really want us to go to that whole other level again, you know, because when you get into that realm, you're looking at kind of Neymar's and Bappe's. That that's the only kind of level that would take us forward at this point, you know, the absolute elite, and those absolute elite cost two hundred million pounds. And mm. it would just reduce us to a PSG kind of standing amongst the rest of the football. Um, I think what we've achieved thus far—it's in my experience in the past month or two, just from people people I you know I kind of interact with, maybe on Twitter, but certainly kind of in pubs and, and so forth. I think people are starting to kind of um, reinterpret city spending. They're starting to see that you know we're not the bad guys after all we're not the big bad wolf um you look at the the fees that we've paid they look like absolute bloody bargains now in comparison to you know the fees being paid by other clubs this summer um as much or as little as that matters it matters to me i i kind of like the fact that what we've got is the greatest side in premier league history the greatest side in english football's history um at a cost, which is comparison to the others, to the other teams. I like that. I like that a lot, in fact. So going Mm -hmm. out and and spending £220 million on Mbappe, you know, of course the the child in me would be like jumping for joy. It's it's like, it'd be really exciting. But no, I I liked it. We we sold a lot of players this summer for small fees, but they all add up and they pretty much add up to what we spent on Morez. Um, so you know we we can even claim to you know be uh, competitive in the Net Spend Cup as well. <laughs> we I think we might actually have won the Net Spend Cup <laughs> yes, yes, in the top six this summer, which get
0: it. Oh, actually, no, we can't because Spurs didn't buy anybody. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think Very if Zinchenko
2: had gone, maybe.
0: But, uh... Yeah, if Zinchenko had gone, maybe we'd have maybe we'd have ended Got up close, beating
1: yeah. them. But yeah, uh, okay. okay. Can I just um,
0: ask, how do you feel about that? Because
1: I know you know you're a huge fan of Mbappe, for example. How how do you feel about City not Really pressing a foot down on the throat the rest of the Premier League this summer
0: um i mean I, i'm a little bit i'm a little bit on the fence primarily because um i understand i don't have a problem with city not wanting to do deals that feel like they're too expensive yeah mm. so I understand for example the idea. And now I don't know if this is a fact, but it, it's certainly been said to me by a couple of people. So I will take it as at least it's a conversation that's been had, but um, I've been told, for example, that, you know, when we were being linked with Pjanic, that City won't even talk to Juventus about a player because they, having dealt with them two years ago and three years ago on trying to do other deals, they very quickly came to realise that Juventus are a club that will just take the piss and will simply overvalue their players and expect the buying club to pay. Well, certainly, if it's an English club, to pay that valuation. But, but, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so City's point of view is: well, we're not. You know, we're not going to get involved in in situations like that. I don't have a problem with that. Where maybe I um, think that we need to decide what we are as a football club is that when your manager decides I want that guy over there and you decide that's the guy that we absolutely want over there, then top clubs land that guy top clubs. Don't let that guy go to a rival over 5 million quid or over 10 million. With quid. Now yep. I-, I know that people will say, well, it's easy to say that, but 5 million quid, 10 million quid is a lot of money. Completely agree with that. However, If you're only buying two players and you've landed one of them already and he didn't cost you over the odds, then you have to ask yourself what you're achieving by not paying that fee, the extra amount to get the second player. And I think that I've argued over the summer to plenty of people on Twitter that if we don't land Jorginho, it's not a big deal because we've got the cover in the squad. I agree we've got the cover in the squad. I don't think if we don't win the Premier League or we don't win the Champions League, it will be because we didn't sign a backup for Fernandinho. But in terms of completing the squad, in terms of going into the season without a chink anywhere in our armour, then landing that player would have done that. And if it meant paying a 10% premium, I think... In the instance where that's the only player you want, yeah, pay it. Yeah. So,
1: yeah, I you mean, couldn't, you know, it's not to spite your face, basically, aren't you? That's what it comes. That's what City have done. I mean, they've done it with, yeah, with I the, mean, the mandate of um, other clubs will will kind of, you know, take note of this. I don't think they do. I, I think in that regard, it's a pointless kind of um, strategy because clubs will always take the piss.
0: Slightly the disagree. I slightly disagree. I'll tell you why I slightly disagree. Because I think that we showed with Leicester, with Mahrez, yeah, that there's a valuation that we have, yeah? Uh, And if the selling club's valuation is too high, we're just not doing that deal, right? And I think that where you can get away with that is when you've got a player like Mahrez, or like some of the players we signed last summer, where they turn around and they go, look, I only really want to join City, so... I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not really talking to anybody else. So if you want to sell me, that's the place that I want to go to. I think it makes a lot easier to get into those negotiations. And I think that that's the key within all of this, where Guardiola feels that he only wants players who, in the first instance, are saying that to make the whole transaction much easier. Yeah, yeah, I'll go along with that. I mean, you 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 touched on this
1: but i think a a big part of it is not so much for money anyway it's it's the kind of um ethics of of the deals um you know our owners now are in a situation where they can you know basically say right we're not dealing with you because this is you've said this you keep to your word it's an honorable it's an honor thing
0: yeah i think that is a a big factor Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um and I think, you know, we have I think the thing that the thing that City will probably hold up in 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 their defense are all the examples of the players who didn't try and leverage City for a bigger contract. And this goes all the way back to before Guardiola comes in and we signed Sterling and we signed De Bruyne. We signed them both in a very similar fashion in that we get to a stage where we know they don't want to go anywhere else and we're not competing with anybody else contractually. We're simply trying to get to a stage where we can get a fee agreed with the uh with the selling club. And then you move that forward to to Guardiola's two transfer windows. And it's a very similar situation. You know, we're able to haggle over Stones, we're able to able to haggle over Walker, we're able to haggle over Mendy, because of the fact that these players are committed to joining Guardiola and joining City. And I understand why the club would and Guardiola because that's the other thing that you know it'll it'll be interesting to see what Marty now says when I interview him um, but I'm fairly sure that he's going to say to me that this whole thing this whole like you know the principle of you agree with us and you don't mess us about is all about Pep it's not about Begera Stein. it's not about Khaldun it's about Guardiola and what he wants from his players okay um, every week as well as previewing City's game on the Friday shows. We're going to try and preview one of the Premier League games uh, for that from that weekend that we think catches our eye or that we think would be interesting to discuss. And this week, before we talk about City-Arsenal in particular, we're going to have a brief chat about Wolves against Everton because they've both had intriguing summers. Uh, yeah. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to start with you, Steve, and I'm going to ask you, about your thoughts on the Wolves' setup and the involvement of uh, Jorge Mendes, um, and just give you a bit of context. Uh, context: uh, Gabriel Marcotti on the uh, Times podcast a couple of days ago described them as a halfway house for Mendes's footballers, and he said he hopes that they get relegated because what they're doing is somehow unethical. And not fair on Wolves supporters. <laughs> so lack of ethics in football, eh? Yeah, <laughs> it's
2: disgusting.
0: Yeah, terrible, isn't it? You know, uh, but, but Steve, what, what's your what, what's your take on the Wolves setup?
1: Right. Um, where do I start? Let's start with something which is 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 a major factor. And it's been diminished somewhat by people looking at the the situation as a whole. And that major factor is how do Wolves fans feel about it? They're over the moon. They're loving it. They're in the Premier League, and they've got some amazing players in this summer. And I bet they cannot wait for this season to begin. So are they thinking, oh well, this is unethical, and he may you know kind of pull out in two years' time, and we could be in a bit of trouble and stuff? They're not thinking that. That they are in dreamland. So that that's a big consideration for me. Second consideration is basically what Howard alluded to with his laughter. Um, <laughs> football. No, you're right. Absolutely right. Football is unethical. Right across the board, it's unethical. And although it wasn't unethical, you know, we only have to go back to our own circumstance in 2008 and how other fans perceived that initially. Now, as it was, you know, we've seen what our owners have done to this club. You've seen how they've kind of, you know, put everything in place and be, it, well, it's being immaculate quite frankly but at a time in 2008 when they came in that could have been perceived as being unethical it was a royal family buying a football club and basically saying right we have unlimited funds we're going to buy every single player that we want now this is completely different at Wolves I know but in terms of ethics of a situation in terms of how it jars with what we perceive to be a traditional running of a football club then you know it can be seen in a similar vein, at least in that regard. I um, I think it's a case of just wait and see. I'm holding back on my kind of my judgment really at this point. He, he, and uh, and Wolves have got them into the Premier League. And what's particularly impressed me is that they've bought on a permanent deals four of their loanees from last year, who were yeah. really impressive. So that shows that there's a structure in place you know a traditional structure in place um, and they've brought in players who excite as a neutral I, I, as Howard said at the start Wolves for Everton a few years ago give or take that quite frankly I'm really looking forward to it um, mm. and I'll just uh, lastly and this is not kind of um, what you asked but I should say as well that tomorrow is my stag do <laughs> and it takes place in Liverpool And (gasps) half of my stag party are Evertonians, and as part of my kind of stag chore, if you like, I have to put a large amount of money on Everton to win. I have to wear an Everton top for the duration of the afternoon and during the game, and I have to wholeheartedly be a toffee for the day.
0: Yeah. Why don't you just?
1: It's not. Yeah, I know. It's just pretending
0: it's his stag do. Right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's just me. I'm just going to be um,
0: brilliant. Listen, uh, just uh, I, I want to say one thing on on what Marcotti said and what you said. Can I say um, one
2: after I, you as well?
0: Yeah, totally. I, th- I find it a bit. I find it a bit confusing that he he seems basically what he what he was implying is that what George A. Mendes is doing is buying lots of. Bringing lots of his very good footballers to Wolves so that they can do really well at Wolves and Wolves can do really well, and then he can sell those footballers for a profit. Now, the last time I checked, that's more or less how every yeah. cl- almost every club in the world operates. The fact that Mendez gives them access to those players isn't in and of itself problematic at all i think the only potential issue in the future is how much ownership do wolves actually have over those players when they get sold so let's say that ruben neves joins man city next summer for 60 million euros you heard it here first by the way <laughs> um where does that money go does the money go to wolves for them to reinvest or does that most of that money go into Mendes's pocket? That's the only problem that I can foresee. Yeah. Um, sorry, Howard. Now you can speak. Yeah, Marcotti was talking out Was it
2: Marcotti? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was talking out of his ass.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think
2: Steve summed it up. If you're a Wolves fan, you know you live in the dream. Don't give a damn. Have they broken any rules? Are they going to get relegated for what they've done? No. So tough. Uh, you can moan all you like. Uh, there's no ethics in football whatsoever. <laughs> very little morals And what the worst thing Marcotti said is, uh, I've, you know, he said, I think he said that he hopes that Wolves fans get the club back. Uh, Wolves fans have <laughs> <laughs> got their club. It's still there. It's always been there. Yeah, you, know, you hear this drivel about the soul of a club. Well, there's no such thing as a soul. Sorry, probably upsetting people again. But if there is such thing as souls, then football clubs don't have them. They've, you know, football <laughs> clubs have hundred year histories, up and down, uh, bad times, bad players, good players, uh you know, controversies, they break rules. There are all sorts of things, rich and varied histories. There's no such thing as getting your club back. You may hate what it's doing. You may hate your owner, you may hate the manager, you may hate the players. Uh But the club is still there. They've got the club Mm. and they're absolutely loving every single minute of it. Uh, And I doubt they give two hoots, like we have over the past 10 years, about what people like Marcotti say. If he wants them to fail, if he do not like it, that's obviously fair enough. He has his opinion. But he doesn't have the right to tell Wolves fans how to think. Did
1: did he want them running this one? They
2: have have got nothing to apologise for. They didn't have any say over this. They're seeing the best team they've had in ages. And they're not breaking any rules, as far as I'm aware. And as you said, I mean, look at Mourinho at United. He goes through, you know, look at Pogba's uh, agent. Loads of clubs bring in players via virtually one agent. It's nothing that ridiculous. And if they lose the players, they'll make money for it. The players are happy to do it, clearly. The club are happy to do it. I just don't see it. And if they haven't
1: broken any rules, then so be it. Yeah. Uh, Alexander, Didn't he also say uh, he wanted to get? He wanted to see Wolves relegated. Have I made that up? Yes. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yes. So he, on one hand, he's saying, "I hope the fans get their club back." On the other hand, "Oh, I hope they endure a miserable season."
0: Well, actually, he thinks that that's how they'll get their club oh, back because he thinks that if they're relegated, that that Mendes will take all his players home in a huff. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know about that. Uh, what about Everton? Steve, i'll start with you uh marco Silva got job they spent heavily well actually again depending on what side of the fence you fall they've either had a really good summer in terms of transfers or they've had a terrible summer of overpaying and panic buying um where do you fall on that one steve oh the richarlison deal um you're
1: 40 million and it Potenti- well, they say it could rise to fifty million, but the you know, the caveat for that to occur are quite far fetched. Um, I wrote about it with the intention of. Well, I, I came at it with an open mind, but I kind of felt it didn't sit right with me. I thought that's a lot of money to spend for a player who has had half a good season in the Premier League. But then, when I wrote about it and I did some research in it, I thought, well, actually, I'm siding towards this being a you know at least a deal that makes sense here. And when you, you can compare it to some of the money spent elsewhere by other clubs in the Premier League, it stands up against that. He's 21. He's, he's, he sees Silver as a father figure. He's played sensational football under Marco Silva, and now he's playing with him again. Um, you just don't know what limit this lad's got. He could go on to be a sensational prospect. His stats last year in the second half of the season, when he was you know poor, still... Stood up, it was still pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and also, most importantly of all, Everton and Evertonians needed a player like Richarlson, they needed him so, so badly. They had Balassi, That before him, they had Aaron Lennon. Um, you know, they, they needed an attacking player to get them out of their seats who could do the business, and he can. And then they go and get Bernard for, for free from who who's a fa- fabulous player. So, yeah. Absolutely. I you know, the big gamble is Andre Gomez, but if Andre Gomez, frankly, doesn't work out at Everton, um, so be it. You know, they, they do have other options there in midfield. For me, they still lack that real kind of you know, out and out centre mid, a real top quality, consistent centre mid. Uh Schneidlin doesn't do the business. Um Davis for me is kind of hot and cold. So if they, they if he'd gone balls out and got you know, a £40 million centre mid who you think, yeah, he's going to keep that team together. He's going to be the man. Then I'd really fancy him to do well this year. As it is, I think, you know, they could easily still scrape the top 10. Um, but most importantly of all, going back to what I said about Evertonians leading Richardson, the club needed to feel invigorated. They needed to feel excited again. I mean, dear God, I've got no love for Everton, hence my chore tomorrow in the Stag do. But, I think every single fan across Britain had a great deal of sympathy for them to suffer under Sam Allardyce. Um and so for them to just enjoy their season would be a plus, I think.
0: Yeah. So it's, it's a pretty fair assessment that I have to be I have to be honest. Um Howard, when you look at the the transfer deadline day trolley dash that brings the Mandrake Gomez, Yeri Mina, um Kurt Zuma and I think another player. Although the name of that final player may escape Dean, uh,
2: Lucas Dean. got. From, I don't know when they got him from Barcelona.
0: Lucas Dean. they had already tied up yeah. about a week ago. Um, I mean, is it very easy to sort of throw stones at those players from the outside and go, well, none of them, have, none of them are good enough, and none of them have cut it at a top club, and you know it's all basically again, that idea that, well, Yeri Mina, Barcelona bought for 10 million pound, uh, six months ago or a year ago. And he has a terrible season at Barcelona and they sell him for three times what they bought him for. Yeah. Or do you look at his performances in the world cup and you go, well, you know what? Playing for Barcelona as a center half is maybe not the easiest position because of the way that they played, they play a very attacking way. Um, he never really got a chance there. He only got two or three games, and obviously he wasn't great. But you can't really judge a young player who's come from South America to Europe after two or three games. I mean, where do you where do you sit on all this? Because again, there's a lot of cynicism around, and then on the flip side, there's a lot of people going, "Wow, that's really impressive."
2: Yeah, well, never judge on the World Cup for starters. Uh, yeah, I mean the transfer market's ridiculous. I think uh, Danny Ings has gone. Yeah. Back to Southampton, hasn't he? For fifty million more than you bought him, and he's just been permanently injured. So, it just that's the market. Uh, what can they do? To be honest, I mean, I look at yeah, you know, I've got to tread uh, carefully here because last summer we were, all, I think most of us were declaring Everton the winners of the transfer market. <laughs> and, and look how that went. Uh, perhaps they've got a more suitable manager now. So, yeah, you know, uh, to be in charge, but. Where I'm, i in the middle. I mean, I've read about you know, it's a it's a bit of a gamble, but twenty seven million pounds nowadays. I mean, what, Everton don't have unlimited funds, but they do have plenty uh, swilling around. It's not the biggest gamble ever. Uh, yeah, uh, what can they do? They can't go for the world's best players, so they have to cut the cloth accordingly. As you say, he's young. He's got. I mean, I've read stuff that you know he's got mistakes in, and he. I'm not convinced about him as a player, uh, from what's happened in the past. But and I don't know why Barcelona signed him in the first place. If then they're not going to give him time, but all in all, it's about the manager. If he, you know, if he's wants these players, I'm not, you know, regardless. still, despite what Steve argued very well there, I still think it's overpriced. But he's bringing in his own players, so you've always, you've got to give him time. Uh, I don't know. Do you know how old Mina is? So? Uh, 21. Oh, well, exactly. Well, that's fair enough then. I mean, that is far too young to be making conclusions about how good a footballer he is. Uh, yeah. And yes, we don't make conclusions from the World Cup, but there was plenty there to show that, that that is a gamble worth making for a player that young. So He's 23, sorry. Oh, 23. Well, still, <laughs> you know, he's still got at least a decade in him. So. Um, mm. Well yeah, it's it's a wait and see with Mina. Uh I'm not sure. Well, you know, it's not. Bernard, that's well, a superb the free you know, getting Bernard on a free transfer yeah. is superb business. And all in all, you've just got a new manager. You've got you know, he's freshened it up with a few signings, so it's a wait and see.
0: Okay. Um final question. Who's gonna finish higher out of those two? Uh Everton or Wolves? Stay you first. Um I think Everton, I think Wolves will
1: be safe all along and you know, kind of entertain and uh, be be a be a curio as it were but I think uh, mm-hmm. Everton um, I think they're gonna have a relatively good season under Silver like I say I, I think top 10 and Wolves you know kind of 11th 12th just behind
0: okay um, Howard what about for you yeah
2: yeah the same I mean uh, Everton have got the advantages. they're obviously an established Premier League club uh, and that counts for something and I think they're you know, traditionally, the home form is strong and it will probably remain that way. Uh, Wolves have signed a lot of players, but as Steve said earlier, a lot of those were playing last year anyway, so they've just finalised loan deals. Uh, and they've brought in some great, you know, they've done some great business. Matino and Patricio is just superb Yeah, on a three and five million. Uh, but it will take a bit of time. I, uh, exactly what Steve says. Uh, I expect them both to be around the lower half. Of the top half, somewhere around mid-table, but I think Everton will just, you know, be a couple of places ahead of them.
0: Okay, excellent. Um, yeah, I think it'll be, uh, I think it'll be tight between those two. I actually, think Wolves might finish a little bit higher, um, but it'll be interesting to watch it unfold. Definitely. Okay, so the main event for us Blues this Sunday: Arsenal versus City. Uh, I mean, we've kind of touched upon the the charity shield and where we think City are. Um, where are Arsenal right now? Um, Steve, your thoughts on Unai Emery as a manager um, and what sort of expectations Arsenal can have as a club this season? Well, um,
1: he's impressed me so far with what he's done at Arsenal. Um, I've got a friend of mine who, who works for the kind of Islington Gazette and does a lot of work with the club. And he's passed on some stuff about how, you know, he's kind of um, he's made himself popular with the the local press, which helps, and he's really kind of become a popular figure amongst the players already. He's made a good impression on them, and of of course that helps a great deal. Um, so yeah, I, I, he's gone about it as I expected him to, which is just kind of quietly, sensibly uh, making the right friends. Um, he's I. Whether this is has any substance to it or not, I don't know because I don't know him well enough as a as a manager. I've followed his career closely enough, but what I read about him is that he does tend to be a manager who the players can get the upper hand over. Um, that might not be such of a factor at Arsenal mm-hmm. than it is at PSG. I think at Arsenal, you know, Wenger, he hardly ruled with an iron fist, did he? Uh, and you could say that the players maybe took the piss from time to time, but it just seems to be that kind of club arsenal where to have a a sensible, erudite manager in charge seems to be a good fit for them. Um, I can see him working out there. I can see him doing well there. Um, He's made some interesting signings. Some of the players I don't know a great deal about. Um, I've seen 20 minutes here and there of them. But he obviously believes he can get, you know, the best out of them. And if he can get it all to gel there, then the players he, he inherited are certainly good enough for top four place. So um it's gonna be a really interesting project to watch in, in the months ahead. I'd expect them I, I would expect the answers to reveal themselves a lot sooner at Arsenal than they would at Chelsea. Um, you know, we'll know fairly early on, I think, whether it's gonna be a success story or not.
0: Howard, is this a good game or a bad game for City to start with? <laughs> uh, that depends on the result.
2: <laughs> I think I would prefer to, a nice, easy opener uh, to start the season uh, and get the three points, move on because of the players coming back. But if, you know, if City win this game, that's a huge statement. To get a tough game like that, three points with a home game, you know, coming up against Huddersfield, uh, that puts us in a very strong position from the get-go. So at the end of the day, it's a long season. It's not the end of the world if City don't win this game. Uh but I probably would have liked an easier opener. But you know, but there's a, a chance to have a statement of intent here because Arsenal won't be settled either. Uh they won't have a fit full first squad. You know, lot, I think uh, a lot of their defence well got two, you know got two players out injured in defence. Uh I don't think Right, the likes of Mustafi have played much uh, pre-season. So, you know, it's, in another way, it's a good time to play them if what we saw in the community was right and we've got a fit squad with energy ready to go. Uh, but again, depends on the results. So it's it's easy to, easy to say with hindsight.
0: Okay, fair enough. Um, Steve, do you think that in terms of... Do you think that we're in a position where if we can... Be Arsenal, the, the game is actually a good game for us, because if we can beat Arsenal, then it almost sets a bigger marker down than an easy home game against Huddersfield on the opening day would have done. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, unquestionably, 100%. Uh, it was a fixture that I
1: was quite pleased to see as the opener. Opening games in a season, um, traditionally they throw up odd results anyway, so you, you, you kind of always do hope to have a harder Challenge right off the bat, um, as opposed to as you say playing at home to Huddersfield, and and they just have a, a freak three one away win or something. Um, but furthermore, I think it's really important as well this uh, this result and this game because the players are talking up this season as you know a replica of last. They want to really you know to do it in one season is incredible. 100 points but to do it twice (laughs) my god and you can see that they want to create history all over again now a win at Arsenal it just puts a template down for the rest of the season doesn't it whereas a loss you know in the great scheme of things as Howard said it won't mean a great deal it's just three points over a long season but in terms of the players mentality and their outlook it could kind of hurt that whole grandiose ambition that they have for the season to come it would damage that, I think. So um, a draw or a win is a must in that regard. I, th- I believe.
0: Yeah, I kind of feel a little bit like it's a free hit for both clubs. In that, I think that Arsenal, with the fact that they've got a new manager um, and the fact that they're playing City on the opening day, I suspect that whatever the result, they'll be able to justify it. Um, and I think from City's point of view, it's kind of a similar thing where you kind of feel like because it's a way to Arsenal on the opening day because of the truncated preseason that we've had, you almost feel like I kind of agree with you. I think we can't lose because I think losing would potentially be a bit damaging. But I think that a draw or a win, I think, is fine for City. Yeah, I think because but, of uh, the draw uh, is absolutely fine. Yeah, uh, well, I don't think it'll be portrayed
2: we'll it that way if we draw. It'll be yeah. Screaming from certain elements. But uh, I mean, let's not forget, we drew at home to Everton, second game of last season, and got 100 points. So, uh, you know, it's nine months of football to come up. Uh, just can't read too much into one game. Absolutely.
0: Completely agree with that. Uh, okay. It's been an hour. Steve, I know you need to run. I'm going to wrap this up. Dude, uh, uh, sweet. <laughs> give me, Howard, uh, pick a team and give me a score prediction for... Uh, Arsenal City on Sunday Aye. I keep springing this on me it's in the notes mate it's on the agenda so you <laughs> pick a team can you, can you start with Steve <laughs> okay Stephen could you pick me a team and give me a score prediction please
1: I certainly can it should be um, easier this week than last week anyway but I, definitely. I I think it's going to be an identical team to the charity shield or community shield I should say but I think it'll be De Bruyne instead of Foden uh, so that'll be my, my team uh, and I think
0: City are going to win 2-1 Nice, very, very, very nice um, I will give Howard a little bit more time <laughs> I think that the team will be Edison, Walker Oh sorry, sorry, sorry S- to interrupt
1: I forgot Edison instead of Bravo, of course sorry.
0: Okay, so for me it's Edison, Walker, Stones, Laporte Mendy, Fernandinho Bernardo Silva Foden um, Mahrez, Sterling and Aguero that's the team that I think plays. See, De Bruyne, I don't think. Be on the bench. Yeah, I yeah. think De Bruyne gets an extra week yeah. on the bench because it's hard to. If you look at the way that Foden played and the way that Bernardo Silva played in the Charlotte Shield, they both have to play. Um, I, I think they've, their preseason has, has earned them the right to play yeah, uh, against Arsenal.
2: Okay, well. Um, yeah, mine's the
0: same, on. but I
2: accept I do think De Bruyne gets in ahead of Foden. Uh, I think Sterling comes in instead of Sane. Yeah. Uh, But then again, that puts him on the wrong side. I don't know. Uh, But yeah, otherwise, I think the back six, so to speak, speaks for itself. Uh, Aguero starts, I would imagine. Bernardo obviously starts. Uh, Yeah, and I think he'll stick with Mares. So yeah, it's the De Bruyne Foden is the only bit that, uh, yeah, I think he's up for... Right, but we never know unless Bernardo moves wide and he brings silver back as you know David Silver back as well. But I don't think he will. Uh,
0: no, nah, I think what you're more safety, likely to, by the way. Okay, I, I think if 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 he's desperate to bring De Bruyne back, I think what happens is that Bernardo goes to the right, Mares plays from the left, uh, and De Bruyne goes back into the middle with Foden. Um, I find it very hard to believe that Foden or Bernardo just get dropped for KDB. Um, yeah. That would, be, uh, that would be my prediction. Somebody's phone's ringing, so we're definitely wrapping this up now. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the postman. <laughs> uh, it's the postman. Howard, you can go. Thank you very much. Yeah, pleasure. Uh, pleasure as yeah. always. Uh, Steve, thank you very much. Pleasure, mate. To everybody who listened, thank you very much. Remember, if you've not signed up for the 9320 player, go to our Twitter feed or go to our website. You'll find a link and you can sign up from there. Um, for those who are members of the 9320 player, next week we've got part two of Mancini's history years coming. We've got the interview with Mike now coming. We'll obviously have the Arsenal review and we'll have many, many, many more podcasts as the season unfolds. Thanks for listening and up the blues.